This week's episode of Your Gray Matters. I'm Jason here with my dad, Neil. Hello. Hello. Hello, everybody. So you've been teasing it and you even seem to take some glee in it. And I think we just saw it, but it sounds like you made a grown man cry. Yep, I did. And I have known this man for years, but for a long, long time, he has been an official town crier. This is a form of communication. That was used from like the 1500s. Yeah. But today it's actually used uh, for specialty events. There are criers all over North America. Yeah. But really the cool. ones in Canada was essentially founded by Alan many years ago. So we're excited to have Alan on. It's a bit of a great history lesson that you'll get today. And yeah. uh, if you want a town crier, you'll learn how to hire one. Yep. <laughs> Uh, excellent. And we'll also wish everybody a happy holidays, a happy new year. Uh, we'll be off the next couple of weeks and we'll be back on January 8th. Yep. And we will. And, uh, Merry Christmas, everybody and enjoy the holidays. Remember to like subscribe, uh, leave a comment and, uh, that can be your Christmas gift to us. Hi everybody, I'm Neil from Your Grey Matters. Welcome back. As you know, we are a show for people, whether you have gray hair or no hair or red hair, but come on, we know what's under there. We're glad to have you here. Your Grey Matters from day one has absolutely been a show of miracles, solutions, things that exist, but you're probably not aware of them. And as you just saw, we were able to obtain a video of a town crier from the year 1790. I think that that's pretty miraculous. Actually, we didn't. It was a real live town crier. And sitting here on the screen with me 
is a good friend, a businessman, someone with whom I built businesses over the years. He has a great story. His name is Alan Freeman, and clearly he's an actor. Alan, welcome to Your Gray Matters. Thank you. Yeah, we are glad to have you. Let me tell you a bit about Alan. He's he's a fascinating guy, actually. He uh, grew up on a farm. He was a dairy farmer. He learned to love the soil and he learned to love what it takes to produce food. As he got older, he became a real estate agent and then a broker. And in fact, he's still a real estate broker. But his true love really was, is and was in politics and in community work. He's a real hero of sorts for his community work. But that's what led him to this great thing called town crying, which is a real thing. So Alan was uh, originally director of one of the local fall fairs in the 70s. He was a member of the Wentworth County Milk Committee, which is a committee that oversaw milk production. And in fact, he held a lot of positions in the area of milk producing over his years. But his passion is politics. He was a city councillor for many years. He went on to play volunteer roles, important roles. He worked with the landfill committee in his area. He worked with the local architectural uh, conservation area. And he really is a man who gives himself to the community. But during that time, in 1984, Alan was asked to chair what's called the Glanbrook Celebration Committee. Glanbrook is a small area near Hamilton, Ontario. And he was working for the Bicentennial that year. And through that privilege, he started doing a number of positions in government. And then this is interesting, for years and years, he has been a town crier for Glanbrook and the city of Hamilton. In 1985, he became a charter member and the first president of the Ontario Guild of Town Criers. That's a real thing. It still exists, but we're going to learn today. It's a very, very old tradition. He's been a town crier all these years. He's performed in Canada, the United States. Bermuda. He was the host crier for the North American Town Crier Championship, held as part of Hamilton's sesquicentennial celebration in 1996. I learned that sesquicentennial means 150 years. In 2020, he was the first crier to receive a 35-year bar from the Ontario Guild. So, Alan, thank you for coming on. Welcome to Your Gray Matters. I'm so thankful that you made that beautiful video. And the cry, of course, is a great honor to myself and to all of us involved in Your Gray Matters. I have to ask you, Alan, I don't normally make a grown man cry, but with you, I did it. And I'm just kind of curious. Tell, tell us about town crying, the history of it. I'm really interested. Well. Town crying is an ancient and honorable tradition. It goes back into the 16th, 17th century. 
You got to remember back then, there was no such thing as newspapers, no internet, nothing. The only way of communication was basically oral. Those that could write were generally the uh, religious people. And it was all written in Latin. So the only way to communicate from the Lord or for everything was simply the verbal way. And the verbal way was best done through a town crier. Town crier was generally a loyal servant of the Lord or the king, generally in the military. And they uh, would go forth and issue proclamations, maybe for taxes or any other thing that was happening of a major significance in the area. And that was the way things were done. Then the printing press came in and people began to learn it right. And that put the town crier out of business. Hmm. Then we go to 1984. Ontario had its, was having its bicentennial. One of the things a municipality could have as a portion of celebration was a town crier amongst many, hmm. many other things that they could do. So as a lark, I said, ah, we'll just try this and see. Well, <laughs> we won the township, my wife and I. And there's always then the wife goes along or the or if it's a lady crier, the husband goes along as an escort. There was, province of Ontario was divided into eight regions. There was three criers selected from each of the eight regions. The prize was a weekend in Ottawa for the Ontario Championship. So there was myself from Glanbrook. There was Jim Green from uh, West Lincoln and Niagara and Laurie Armstrong from Brantford. That was our region that we won. So we ended up in Ottawa. At that point, the person, Bob Smith from Niagara-on-the-Lake, who promoted the idea of town crying, said, come on, guys, we're going out the back. We're going to have a drink. We're going to talk about this. He says, this is a great thing, way to promote municipality to add some color, to add some excitement. We need to keep it going. From there, the Ontario Guild was formed. There was uh, 10 of us that were charter members. At that point, there was approximately 80 criers in on the province of Ontario. Over the next few years, it seemed to drop off a bit, but grew and grew and grew. And the Ontario Guild is now the second, it's the largest guild outside of the ancient and honorable in, in England. Criers uh, have to choose their uniform. Generally, a lot of them go with the colors of the municipality. They range anywhere from military to mine happens to be patterned after a 1790 gentleman's outfit. Hmm. And uh, other than it's liberties. Those uniforms, you got to remember, there was no such thing as zippers back then. Yeah. So thanks. all the uniforms are held together with buttons and strings. Oh, geez. So how long does it take you to put that uniform on? Oh, I don't know, 20 minutes or so. Oh, Time my. to get all the bits and pieces together. And you've been wearing that uh, same one since I've known you. So uh, that just is a good weight check, I guess. Yes, it is. It is a good weight check. 
<laughs> there have been many situations where criers have uh, suffered a little bit. One item was one time a crier was to make a cry in a, an arena. He forgot that when he set the bell down, the bell was warm. So it melted into the ice. When he had to pick it up, he couldn't pick it up. Now, now look, when you were making that, that video, I lifted up that bell. That thing is heavy. How, how heavy is that bell, Alan? I think it's about five pounds. Yeah, and shaking it around like that and carrying it, especially if it's a hot July afternoon and you're in that uniform, you have that bell, you got to be burning up. We have been extremely cold in the winter. <laughs> the hottest we ever were was uh, the year after 9-11, we were invited to Philadelphia for the 4th of July parade. The 4th of July parade happens at six o'clock at night on the 4th of July in Philadelphia. It was 99 degrees Fahrenheit, 90% humidity, and the parade was three and a half miles long. Aye, you're a better man than I, sir. You really are. <laughs> We've done cries outside in the middle of the winter, and it's snowing and blowing. It's cold, but you get it done. So, Alan, and, and for our listeners and our viewers, and, and thank you again for coming on this seems like a pretty cool thing to do that not many people are aware of. So is this the kind of thing where the average person, if they're holding an event, could contact you or someone who's a crier and actually have you to come, I imagine, for a fee to come and actually do a cry, which which you would even help to write, I would imagine. Absolutely. There's very, very creative criers across the province of Ontario. In fact, they're all over the world. There's criers really? in the United States, there's criers in Europe, and Germany, England, Australia, New Zealand, uh, virtually everywhere the, you can find a crier of, of some type. So there is a need, a, uh, a willingness to reach back into history in these modern times and have a taste of the way that things were done in the past. I know in the Hamilton area, we have every year in Stony Creek, we, we have a, uh, I guess a reformulation, that's the wrong word, but we act out what happened during during the great wars in the 1800s. And I think- you Battle of, The Battle that. of Stony Creek, yep. Yep. So it's reenacted every year. Wow. In fact, I go, my family goes back to the to Battlefield House. My great-great-grandfather married Catherine Gage of Battlefield House in Stony Creek. Right. That's one side of the family. On the other side of my family is my mother was born where the warplane heritage now stands at the Hamilton Airport. So we go back a long way. We And my interest in history goes back a long way. I was going to say. And history, and history is not what they teach in school. Each history is individual units, individual people doing things and recording them. Yes. Well, I have to say, and the recording of them, of course, is what is so important. I have to ask you, you start off with the word, oye. Oye, oye, and I've noticed it's always three, but I'm curious to know what's the meaning of oye? 
it's basically a version of hear ye come here get your attention okay if you notice in courts and in parliament there is uniforms there is yeah. a set program that they follow uh, in the, the parliament the sergeant at arms carries the mace many years ago the mace was used to keep order hmm. in a quite literal sense keep order i think we could use it right now for anybody who's watching parliament like <laughs> alan um and it says here that you received a 35-year bar from the guild is that just acknowledging that you had been a crier for 35 years yes wow yeah if wow. you look at the if you look at the uniform on the right side is my father's centennial medal. Wow. He, was got, he was awarded the, uh, there was two centennial medals in each municipality in 1967. He was one of the two in Glanford. Wow. So I wear it with pride on that. On the left side is where the Ontario Guild crest is. And in the center is the crest and the Ontario Bicentennial Medal. Well, I have so to both. say that, that that is amazing. You literally carry your family history on your uniform, and, and that is really special. I, I have to say, ladies and gentlemen, in all seriousness, it's not often that we can reach back centuries and come up with something that is still useful today. And yet, as Alan said, this town crying is found all over the world. It is a tradition, and you're quite right, Alan. Are our lawyers still wear robes and wigs when they're in court in Parliament? They have the special hat, and we do like to live in tradition. So to me, having a town crier at different events makes a lot of sense. Yes, and we do have competitions in the province, and they have competitions North American and competitions worldwide. Oh, um, Wow. John Webster of the town of Mar Markham held a worldwide competition. There's 107 criers from all over the world. No kidding. Years no kidding. Do they ever have all of you get together and say one cry together? Not specifically, but we are given in competition. You're quite often given a cry with no punctuation. You have two minutes to put the punctuation at your opening, your closing, and the punctuation, and go out and do it. Wow! Well, the worst, you. the worst time I had was they gave you a piece of Shakespeare with no <laughs> punctuation. I can't do it with punctuation. <laughs> so hey, we had fun. We murdered it. Well, but listen, I, I got to thank you for this, Alan. This this has been really an interesting study. And we'll uh, post how to get a hold of you at the end of this podcast. But ladies and gentlemen, when Alan is not being a town crier or really a very wonderful volunteer in our community, he's actually a scientist that I imagine comes back from your days of being a farmer. And there's a couple of things that you're involved in. That I just want to let our viewers and listeners be aware of because I find it fascinating Alan, for years, has worked with a company 
that produces sod, massive, massive amounts of sod. In fact, it might interest you to know that we're actually recording this in December of 2023, and you're still delivering sod at this time That's of right. year. So it's really interesting. But Alan, you're a specialist in, in what it takes to water grass. And I found that kind of funny because when you told me that, I thought, yeah, I know you buy a hose and you pour water on it, but I'm well aware that you actually know that there's a science to this, isn't there? There's a real art to watering, I guess what I would call professional grass that's for sale. Could you comment on that? The, uh, yes, there is. It's, it's part art and part science. Okay. Get enough water on is science. When to put it on is the art. Hmm. If people buy sod, they need to water it within 15, 20 minutes of laying it the best you can. You cannot overwater it the first day. You can flood it. And that's the key. It has to be watered extremely well the first day the second day the third day wow then you can skip and depending on the sod the time of year how much water has to be put on and the secret to it is you gotta water it really heavy the first couple of days and then depending on how much rain what the temperature is uh, and this is where the art comes in uh, temperature, how much rain you get, what season you're in, so on and so forth. And then you can start and back down the water, but you need at least three days of constant water and then it can back down. Maybe you skip a day. If it rains heavy, skip two days. If it doesn't rain at all, you just do one and do it again. Do it again, wow. do it again until you actually can take a hold of the grass and not pull it up. Wow. So there's a lot of new houses going up and a lot of people will be buying homes and quite often they get their sod after the home. They moved into the home or, or around the same time. So knowing how to keep the grass growing and flourishing, this, this is very, very helpful. And uh, I never would have known that, to be honest. I, I find it fascinating. The first time you told me, that you were busy watering grass, I know you to be a hugely intelligent man. And I didn't quite understand the stimulation of that. But over the years, I, I've learned and I've seen your sod products all over the place. This is healthy, good grass. There really is a science and an art. And the company, the company basically, in order to get it a good start, is that that's my job is that as soon as it's laid, I'm there every day with the crew that's laying it because the company does have a crew that lays sod, but it has it has to be a large quantity. I see. Like a tractor trailer load, 15,400 square feet, sort of minimum. Wow. And, that, and that'll take uh, 20,000. That one load of sod will take 20,000 liters of water to get it wet. Isn't this amazing? Well, Alan, thank you for explaining that because I really didn't understand the art and the science. Now, you're an entrepreneur and you love growing things and you 
often come up with great ideas and, and great products. And I we're going to post a picture of a product called Iron Earth. You became aware of this product about a year ago. I know I was with you when we looked at it, but you've really taken hold of it. Iron Earth is something different, right? It's not what you normally see in the market to help plants grow. Do you want to comment on the product? Iron Earth is basically a, a what it would be to a human being a multivitamin. Ah. It balances it balances out the things that are missing in the soil for a plant to exceed its growth. Okay. And uh, we did some experiments, not what you would call really scientific. It was here, try this product, see what you think, compare it to, uh, do it on part of your garden, part of your flowers, whatever. And the the results were amazing. It just balances the nutrients in the soil so that the plants can use every bit of the nutrients and grow to their maximum. And I remember you telling me that some of the plants grow back a lot bigger than normal. We've heard stories of zucchinis that are so large that you can make like multiple loaves of bread from one instead of one loaf of bread. I have to say that when you asked my mom to test it out with her flowers, my mother is a, has a green thumb, but she had a plant that she was quite sure was uh, kaput. And yet, Putting this stuff into the soil and and watering it during the summer, it sprouted flowers. It was amazing. I'm not saying that it brought it back um, from the dead, but in fact, she thought it was dead. And this stuff was able to rehabilitate it, if that's the right word. I think even in the Bible, we're commanded not to uh, grow in the every seven years. You're supposed to let the land grow fallow, go fallow, not grow fallow. <laughs> Uh, simply to put in the nutrients again that we need to grow our food. I think what this product tends to do is, like you said, that's a great thing you said, a multivitamin, it replenishes the soil with the missing nutrients. And would I have that right, Alan? It's more that it balances the soil with nutrients that only maybe partially missing. Uh-huh. You have... Uh, Farmers and those that grow stuff generally do very, very well because they try and balance what they're putting in the soil so that it grows. Sometimes you'll be missing just a little bit of one nutrient or another and so on and so forth. Wow. We, I had my son try it. His tomatoes <laughs> were basically a hand size. Wow. Wow. And you have big hands. Well, you know what, Alan, uh, I want to thank you for coming on to this podcast. I mean, there's so many things that you offer to the community. And ladies and gentlemen, we're going to post in the in the uh, description, I said subscription, because if you haven't subscribed, please do uh, and like this podcast. But in the description, you will find Alan's contact info. So if you would like to have a town crier or to discuss it, you should reach out to Alan by email. Alan, what's your email address? J period, Alan, A-L-L-A-N, 
F-R-E-E-M-A-N at gmail.com, just the way it sounds. Great. So we will post that. So whether you have an interest in Town Crier or you'd like to learn more about this amazing product called Iron Earth, we invite you to reach out to Alan. Alan, I want to thank you for coming on tonight. This has been a real pleasure. Uh, I hope everybody enjoyed learning about a different way to provide some entertainment. But I'll tell you, if you have an event and you have Alan as a town crier, you're going to stick out and people are going to remember it. Alan, thanks very much. We appreciate you and we'll see you soon. Thank you. Bye-bye.